everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of The Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. Welcome. I am uh, fresh off the train, literally. I just did a mad dash because it's raining. Fresh off the train from New York. My hair's still wet. (laughs) Chris is sitting, unfortunately, in a freezing cold chair that I had to take off the porch because she sits in one of my uh, porch chairs. Nice little cushion and a fleece blankie and a hot tea in my hand so I'm, I'm good to go <laughs> and um I have I had a fun evening in New York last night which I will report in uh an, our up to upcoming segment but I wanted to tell a quick little story about a, a cute book story that happened this morning when I was in Grand Central Station I jumped into Warby Parker to get my glasses adjusted and they have this system when you walk in where there's someone standing you know with a um a, a tablet and they take your email address because that's where all your information is. And it was this young kid. He looked like he was about 20. And he looked up at me and he said, do you commute, to, you know, on the train? And I said, no, no, I was just in the city for an overnight. Well, what were you here to do? And I said, oh, I went to a book event. And then what'd you, who'd you hear? And then I told him. And meanwhile, I had given him my email address. So I'm thinking they have this system where, you know, once they're ready for me, they'll call me to do my glasses adjustment. Mm-hmm. And so I tell him about the authors I saw in the books that they wrote and oh, I haven't heard of any of those and he said you know I'm just out of college and I didn't have much time to read but then I've started reading now because I'm spending time on the train to get to work and I said oh what, what have you read lately that you liked and he said the name of the title but he said it really quickly and I couldn't hear it and then he proceeds to tell me the entire story like oh, wow. the entire story and I'm looking at my watch like I have a train to catch, yeah. you know, but this this kid is so enthusiastic about this story he's telling me, you know, and so mm-hmm. I kept listening and listening, and finally, after 10 minutes, I was like, I'm sorry, but I really have to catch my train, yeah. and he hadn't even put my oh, email address in, he's like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, and he's, he enters my email address, and and um, the other part of the story is that as he's talking to me, he's very enthusiastic, and he's using his hands, and he has huge hickeys on either side of his neck and the mom in me was kind of like horrified like you know cover those up if you're going to go to work the day after it's turtleneck weather exactly it's a chilly day put on a sweater with a thick collar um so it was very funny and eventually he finally put the his you know my name in and I got my glasses adjusted and on the way out I said what was the name of that book was it smut (laughs) <laughs> I don't know why that was in my head and he kind of looked at me cross-eyed and smut the hickeys you yeah, know? yeah I know the hickeys and he said it's Sick Puppy by Carl oh. Hyacin I was like oh <laughs> so anyway recommendation from Sick the kid puppy. at Warby Parker yeah I like Carl Hyacin I've read a couple of his books and yeah He's yeah. funny. Yeah. It's hard to be funny in a murder mystery. Yeah, and he also, I think he does write for kids as well. Yeah, like so. middle schoolers, yeah. I think. He yeah. has a couple, yeah. So that's highly funny. recommended from the kid at Warby Parker. All right, so. you heard it here. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> that's awesome. So, Chris, what nice. have you just read? What have I just read? Well, Pachinko. Yahoo! Pachinko. <laughs> I want to go cha-ching, Pachinko. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, no, so I just finished it, and I loved it. Yeah. Um, that's Min Jin Lee, mm-hmm. and we'll talk a little bit more about her in our joint jaunt segment. But I, I love the book. It's uh, for those of you who haven't come across it yet. It is about it's a family saga, multi generational, about a Korean family starting in like 1910, and it goes up to I think 1989. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, they're ethnic Koreans living in Japan. And I had no idea Me about either. 
yeah. what ethnic Koreans living in Japan for generations have faced. So it's one of those books. I, I love the story and the characters, but I also felt like I learned some history. Mm-hmm. And mm. it's totally, you know, it resonates for today's issues with immigration in our country and around the world, I think, and mm-hmm. how important it is to take in immigrants and refugees, but then how do you treat them once they are in the country? Do you welcome them? Do you segregate them? Right. Yeah. And the power grab, you know, the power grab of countries who are trying to spread, you yeah. know, their power and the impact that it has on these immigrants is really amazing because these were immigrants that came to Japan and then they never got to go back to Korea. Right. Yeah. You know? And even if they did try to go back to Korea, they were still considered outsiders because they weren't in Korea. They were, you know, they assimilated some Japanese you know, traditions and the language. I mean, there are some ethnic Koreans living in Japan who don't speak Korean. Right. And so that's a complicated thing, too. And, yeah, like Emily said, the whole the annexation of Korea happened when Japan annexed it, basically to strip it of its resources to help their uh, bid for power in right. the world. Right, which was something that I just, I'm not that familiar with, so it was interesting to think about history and why some of these power grabs happen and mm-hmm. it's to make their own country, you know, rich with whatever resource they're missing. Yeah. You know? And so. Japan too, like the in the book, it's a, you know, it's a small island. It's mm-hmm. a on volcanic what do you call that? Soil. Volcanic soil, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. So it doesn't yeah. have a lot of growing space. Right. To feed a growing population. So that was a lot of the grab for Korea, right? Mm-hmm. Was the rice paddies and things like that, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure about what resources exactly, but definitely yeah. the food, I yeah. think, had a lot. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot about white rice and how rare that was at the, you know, the early part of the 20th century for Koreans to be able to afford white rice because what was available was to go to the Japanese Right. Who were the rulers. Right. And whatever rolled downhill was, you know, at an exorbitant price. Right. I will say when you read this book, you will never eat white rice again and not think about the privilege of eating white rice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. I was, I would think I was saying to you, because we both were reading this on the train to New York when we went to an event a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that in this country, in the United States, we talk a lot about brown rice and eating brown rice and how white rice is so unhealthy, you know. yeah. And And, potatoes, God forbid. Right, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I love white rice, and I feel like, you know, I mean, this is my own personal statistic. It's not based on any fact, but like 90% of the population of the world survives on white rice, Mm -hmm. you know. And I don't think it's, you know, the death of your health to eat a little white rice now and again versus brown rice. But anyway, that's a whole other tangent that I could go on. <laughs> yeah. I, I like brown rice. I like white rice. I, to me, it depends on the dish, too. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. But, but yeah, yeah, white rice and potatoes. Like, yeah. it's what eat some made... starch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing about this book that I thought was so interesting was the women in it, you know, and how it's such a male-dominated culture. And um, that some of reading some of that was really tricky for me because mm-hmm. they're 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 really um, the women ended up having kind of powerful roles in supporting their family out of you know poverty and, and needing to support the family because mm-hmm. of things that happened to the men in their lives, but they really had to push back against the men yeah. and kind of take some risks in order to be able to do that. Absolutely, and the men made ridiculous decisions not to allow the women 
to help financially for a long time, therefore harming the entire family right. because of their pride and the tradition. Right, right. Yeah, it's challenging. And the whole thing about a woman's lot is to suffer. Right. That was a given yeah. for those older generations. And and even within Japan and Korea as a whole, that um, I think at one point, some one of the characters says that in, in Japan, things are to be endured. Mm-hmm. Whereas in America, it's a, it's a land where things are to be fixed. Right. Yeah. And I thought that is a big... A big difference. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I really liked about it was the idea of choices. And when you read historical fiction and family sagas, one of the things that's always interesting to me, because I have three siblings, so I'm the baby of four, is, you know, all three of my siblings are so different. Mm-hmm. And we were born and raised in the same, same family. And not only that, but we were born within a five-year span. Wow. So we're very close in age, yeah. you know. And... Um, Yet we're also very different. And I feel like this book was like that, you know, that the siblings and the different people in history, they're in the family throughout history, made such different choices. Mm -hmm. And I always find that fascinating. And I think as an author, Min Jin Lee handled that really well. Yeah. And and I was interested. My curiosity was piqued the entire read. It's a dense read, I will say. It's not quick. It's not a quick read, but it is a book. I I loved going back to it. There was at one point where I, I had the thought of, should I start reading for Booktopia? Do I put this down? And I thought, I don't want to put this down. Because one, I have a horrible history of never going back to a book I put Mm. down. And I just didn't want to leave the story. Right. It's like, I'd rather sacrifice a Booktopia author. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Um, And keep going with Pachinko. And I'm I'm so glad I did. Because I know we've talked about the whole star rating system and Mm -hmm. how subjective it is and pointless, really, when it comes down to it. But I definitely gave this one five stars just because of, I, I thought her, the voice... It hung together so well and was so consistent mm-hmm. without being, I don't know, what can I say, without being repetitive. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was yeah. some repetition mm-hmm. in, in what the characters were going through because it, I think it was showing, like, things don't change that quickly yeah. in these, these cultures that were being That's a really put good under point. the microscope. You know, yeah. I mean, I think in America things have changed radically fast because we're such a new country mm-hmm. comparatively That's um, a really without, good point. you know, thousands yeah. of years of history behind us. And, you know, it did lag a little bit at one point for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know for how many pages, but I, I stuck with it. And it was more towards like the, the 70s and 80s time period, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. And then it picked back up again. Maybe so. you were like, ah, I lived this. <laughs> <laughs> Not in Japan. Not I will in say. Japan. Yeah. yeah, one of the yeah. So I won't no yeah. no spoilers or anything. Yeah. But good book. I yeah. really enjoyed it. So if you're looking for a, a great book to just sink into for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and beautifully okay, written, yeah. beautiful sentence structure. I mean, there were some sentences where I just like oh yeah takes your breath away. I have yeah. tons of little sticky notes yes. on my book. Chris's book looks like a little rainbow. Yeah, lots of beautiful little post-it little, notes sticking yeah, out. Yeah, little post-it notes. Yeah. I love these things, and so does my dog. Oh no! You know, I can't leave these little posty things around because he takes them, and there he is chewing on them. Oh, and nice. Yeah, so that's why I have the multicolors. Usually, it's just one color. Oh. I have a little rainbow going nice. on. Nice, beautiful. So Pachinko, yeah. Pachinko. Min Lee. Yeah, and I do want to read her. Uh, free food for millionaires i'm gonna put yeah. that on my list that was her first book yeah this is her second novel so yeah. all right so what have you read Emily? well that was on my list too yes. so and then the other one i read was um we are okay by nina lacour 
I this came in for me at the library, and I took one look at it, and like, I have no idea. <laughs> and then I finally realized that I had read about it in the New York Times book review. It's a YA novel. Um, it was very lyrically and poetically written. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the style of the writing. Um, in it, you travel from California to New York. The main character is born and raised in a little beach town in California. There's a little bit of a surfing culture, just a little tiny piece of surfing culture. Um, The book is not an easy read. It deals with extraordinary grief, the loss of a parent. And to me, it was very interesting because it made me really analyze grief. I mean, when you get to be our age, we've all had some things to grieve in our lives, you know, and everybody handles those differently. And the whole, um, there are steps to your grief, you know, and, and what you go through. And what I really saw in this book was that this was a teenager who had lost a parent and the person she had left to raise her was her grandfather mm-hmm. and he couldn't deal with it. He couldn't deal with the, the loss of his daughter. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't, as a kid, if you don't have someone who's there to support you and help you, you know, it really is partly a learned process. Even though we all have our own ways of coping, we do also learn from the people who are parental figures for us, yeah. how to how to grieve, mm-hmm. you know. So it's a lot about that. It's also about how um, there are people in your life when you go through something difficult that are there for you regardless. And I personally have my own feeling that when someone you know and you love is going through a period of grief, you give them a wide breath, you know, to yeah. screw up and even damage your friendship maybe or your, you know, whatever the, the relationship is. But, you know, they're going through something difficult, so you're there for them. And so there is, there's also a thread in the book about that that was really beautiful mm-hmm. with best friends that mm-hmm. I really appreciated. So, so it's, a really, it's a really good book. If you have teenagers, I think it's, it's a good read for them. I also enjoyed it, mm-hmm. you know, as an adult. So yeah. we are okay by Nina LaCour. Excellent. All right. Did you read anything else? No, it was I, all pachinko. Okay. For the I, last... I just... Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Two weeks. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, it took a while. I think yeah. it took at least a, le- a week for me to read it. It took more than that for me, I think. Yeah. yeah. I didn't have to look on Goodreads with their little start. What day oh, did you right. start? Oh, right, start and yeah. end. Which yeah. I'm not always good about yeah. putting a book up yeah. on the day I start. Or Me either. Yeah. yeah so. Well, I just finished one on the train. I didn't think I would finish it, but I am... Um, I, te- I even texted Chris this. I got on the train yesterday with only school reading. <laughs> it was a sad day for me. I actually went into my bedroom. I'm only going to tell you this, listeners. I went into my bedroom and, like, talked to my novel. Like, I'll be back tomorrow. Because <laughs> I'm reading a book, which I will talk about in the next segment that I'm loving. But I was trying to be a good little student, and I only took um, school reading. And I have a paper that I need to write, and it's about um, B Corporations. So this book is called The B Corp Handbook, How to Use Business as a Force for Good by Ryan Honeyman. I won't talk about it too much because it is a nonfiction and it might not be too thrilling for too many people, but the basis of it is there are corporations in the business world that are now forming so that they can do good things for the world. It's not just about their bottom line and making a profit. Mm -hmm. And they're not not not-for-profits, but they operate a lot as if they are. And they treat their employees really well, and they are very um, engaged in environmental sustainability, and not only for themselves, but encouraging the people that they buy their product from Mm -hmm. to be engaged as well. They Mm -hmm. also do want their employees to volunteer and support the communities they live in. 
So um, it's a movement that I really believe in. A B Corp is um, it's it's kind of an assessment tool that's available through a nonprofit called the B Lab. And I think it's the wave of the future. I think we're going to see more businesses that are doing this, particularly as our government agencies maybe aren't Mm -hmm. enforcing things in the corporate world the way some of us would like to see happen, that I think people in the business world are going to step up. And there are a lot of B Corp that you you may not know that they're B Corps, but like Ben & Jerry's, Dansko, Warby Parker, um, the list goes on and on, Patagonia. Mm -hmm. So they're changing the world, the business world. awesome. Yeah. When I worked for the natural food store, there was a lot of talk with uh, the vendors who are trying to get certified as B Corps or interested in in starting the process because they're, you know, so many of them were into giving back giving back but also you know growing food making food that's healthy right not full of preservatives you know food that's organic right and And they say organic is kind of losing its meaning a little bit it is because it's again it's a government regulated uh status and they bend the rules and they bent Mm. the rules a lot because of the drought in california Mm, so interesting yeah. yeah Yeah, and it sounds. I, I think it sounds like a really interesting book and a great concept. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. And I have to write a whole paper about it, All so right. I'm glad that I uh, got to read it over uh, on the train. And I'm also happy to be back in my house with my novel. With your novel. So, <laughs> so the B Court Handbook by Ryan Honeyman. Excellent. Well, I'm proud of you for taking care of your schoolwork. Thank such you. A diligent way. Yes. <laughs> Month and a half to go, but I'm not counting. <laughs> reading i have uh, an audio book going and uh it's by jen sincero i believe is how you pronounce her name you are a badass how to stop doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life it's an audio book i saw a couple of bloggers that i know and respect uh talking about it reviewing it and i i like to have a motivational book going you know, especially audio. I think yeah. that's really nice. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm digging it. I'm liking it. Good. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's my current audio. Good. I have Celine by Peter Heller, and he is a Booktopia author. Mm-hmm. I've read this is his third novel. He's also a travel was a travel and adventure writer, mm-hmm. and has some really cool books out about you know paddling and really okay. interesting difficult. Um, areas um, and he's a poet as well so his books are very very poetically written he has I mean I'm not a writer so I don't know if I'm saying this correctly but like paragraphs that are one sentence long mm-hmm. you know his when you look at his a page of his book it almost looks like a poem wow. you know yeah so it and this book is about um, a 70 something year old or almost 70 year old I think female de- private detective. Very cool. Which is not a character you see that often, I don't think. I mean, there are some. Yeah, like sure. Miss Marple. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure there are others. Right, I didn't yeah. mean to sound too flip. But oh, yeah. no, that's okay. So I'm really enjoying it, and it was oh. very sad for me to leave it behind yesterday, yeah. as I've said already. Oh, so I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm, uh, I have an e-book going as well, and that is Books for Living, by Will Schwalbe, oh, yeah. who is a Booktopia author, and we've talked about him in the past, too. We had seen him at R.J. Julia. 
Um, I'm, of course, loving it. Who You yeah. know, books. I don't read a lot of books about books. I think I go in phases with books about books. Yeah. But I, you know, I love it. It's, you know. So are you scribbling down books as you go? Like, or is it more just an interesting, because it's kind of about books that have affected his life, right? right? Yeah. 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 I'm not at this point. I'm reading it on my e-reader, okay. and I figured... If I get to that point where I start scribbling things down, mm-hmm. I will. Or maybe I'll just eventually get the book from the library to yeah. kind of look at it. Yeah. I don't know if he has like a maybe. a list at the end. Maybe I think he did that did with he? his other book. When okay. he did End of Your Life Book Club, I'm pretty sure there was. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so I'm enjoying that, and I'm looking forward to hearing um, more from him at Booktopia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a very personable. When we went to that event, I just thought, He's like the author you'd love to have dinner with, yeah. you know, so we might get the chance. Totally, Who knows? Right? Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> he's, what, he's 55, I think is what he said in his book. So okay. he's, you know, just a couple of years older right. than me and he's a couple a more than you. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind yeah. of funny to, it's funny, I still have to pause sometimes when somebody says their age and that they're in their 50s. And I, I still think, oh, they're like my parents' age. Which is like, uh, no, Chris, hello, you just turned 51, you know. It is, he's your, he's your peer, you yeah. know, he's your yeah. cohort, as right. they say. So anyway. I don't know about you, when I turned 40, I kind of lost track. Like, what age am I? Okay. I don't remember. Yeah. So. I, you know, age is just a number, I yeah. think. But, like, there is something about turning 50 mm. that is kind of like, whoa, like, like I'm 50 and you know it's um I think I did a lot of work on kind of confronting my mortality mm-hmm. you know kind of years ago because I don't know I've, I've talked with friends about um my family my dad died at 52 my grandfather died at 52 so 52 is kind of like a loaded number yeah. and I thought this was in my when I was in my 30s even I thought Man, I don't want to be freaking out when I'm like 50, 51. Like, oh my God, I only have a and year and a left. You know, yeah. I have six months left. You know, I don't want to think that way. Yeah. So yeah. I've done a lot of, you know, yeah. psychological work and spiritual work around that. Um, but yeah, 50 is a weird number because, like, you really start realizing I need to do the things that I want to do yeah. if they're going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then also, I need to choose really what my priorities are. And, and let some other things go. Yeah, yeah. I don't know yet, Chris, because I'm not 50 yet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I definitely feel that in the book world, I definitely yeah. feel like I'm not going to get to read everything I want to yeah. read. I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's so funny. I saw somebody, I think it was on Twitter, who posted like, so this is my age. If I live to that age, this is the amount, this is the number of books I can read. <laughs> So, you know, like, yeah. books are, I'm, um, you know, DMFing them a lot right. quicker these yeah. days. So yeah. Yeah. I haven't gotten to that point, but <laughs> I did have the thought just today that, you know, I've been saving Jane Austen to read one novel a year, so the last three years, and I'm thinking, like, forget that. Like, I really want to read Emma. So just I think I'm going to read Emma and yeah. be a rebel to myself and read <laughs> two Jane Austens in one year. So anyway. Wow. You're yeah. just crazy, Chris. Yeah, I'm a 51-year-old rebel. <laughs> <laughs> We're such book nerds. I'm going to I'm gonna rebel. I'm going to read Jane Austen <laughs> twice. <laughs> Oh my! Well, we have a lot. Are you are you are you reading anything else? I'm I sorry. am. I just started yesterday too. Um, this is a a middle oh, age yeah. reader. Um, it's Emma Donahue's new book. It just mm. came out, The Lotteries Plus One, and it is about uh, two women and two men, 
lesbians and gay guys who meet, become best friends, and have children together. And they have a ton of children together. There are seven kids total who live in this house. And they're, as I said, I think I posted on Facebook, and I said it's like the Brady Bunch on diversity steroids. (laughs) That's a good, ooh, you could have been blurbed. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, so it's, it's, you know, I just really started it. But one of the things I find really endearing is that they call their home Camel Lottery. Because they, they won the lottery. I should yeah, back up and say that. Yeah. So they had you know, built this house, but Camel, Camelot, Camel Lottery. Yeah. Oh, so cute. And I love Emma Donahue. Um, I did read her book, Room, mm-hmm. which I wasn't planning on until she came to the bookstore where I was working for an event, and I kind of fell in love with her and was completely charmed and, and then read Room. But another one I'd recommend from her is Kissing the Witch, which is a collection of short stories that are like fairy tales where the women are empowered. So there's kind of shades to some traditional fairy tales, but they're, you know, unique and, quote, modern for the modern reader. also YA, or is that not? No, that's, you know, I'm not sure. No, that's not YA. I think it was for the adult market. Okay. But I, I think it might be acceptable for young adults. I can't really remember yeah so don't trust me readers and rush out and buy it for your kid without (laughs) doing a little preview yeah preview because there could have been some things because i know another book of hers i read uh slammer slammer king slammering something like that that was about a i think she was an 18th century prostitute kind of you know rough Mm, rough book so she's a fantastic writer yeah she is I mean, I really liked Room. I didn't like the subject. It was very difficult mm-hmm. to read, and I have not been able to watch the movie because I just yeah, feel I like seen it either, I yeah. don't know if I can do it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, I have no desire to see the movie yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't even cross my mind. Yeah. Like, oh, I should go see that. No. Yeah, me no. either. Yeah. <laughs> but that's cool. I think it's cool that it's for YA. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be, I'd oh, be really Oh, this is actually middle school. Oh. Middle reader, yeah. Okay. So this is for um, ages like 8 to 12. Okay. I wrote it down. Yeah, 8 to 12. So middle schoolers. Okay. Yeah. So the, uh, I was trying to think, what did I read when I was, because I read Dracula when I was in middle school, and yeah. that's when I started reading Stephen King, too. But then, <laughs> <laughs> I also did read Judy Bloom mm-hmm. at that time yeah. period. So I was thinking, like, you know, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't read a lot of middle school stuff, but I, I love her and, and got an arc. I should say it's an arc so yeah that's funny you know i i remember when i was in middle school i lived my parents house literally was at the end of this driveway of the public library oh so cool. i kind of felt like the public library was an extension of my living room yeah, that's you awesome. know? yeah and i have fond memories of like when i actually discovered biographies and autobiographies and just sitting you know like picking up a book about martin luther king and just sitting in the aisle mm-hmm. right there you know and reading it and um, and just, I, I mean, different than what we just talked about where we feel like our, our books, the books we can read in the future are numbered. I just yeah. felt like this whole library, I could read the whole library, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. And I think I, I think I actually feel like I read more, um, widely when I was younger than mm-hmm. I read now in a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Really is lot free range reading is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, they say where you just read whatever you kind of stumble upon. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been a while. Uh, you know, I try to do it every now and then. Just go to the library and walk the stacks and mm-hmm. grab something that hasn't 
cross my path, but it's really hard because I find myself seeing the titles of books that I've wanted to read or authors I've wanted to read. So not that I'm not going to let myself read it, but right. like the point is to go and discover something new. Yeah. And yeah. it gets hard because, yeah. you know, you do have that tendency to zero in on the familiar, what I you guess. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at the Guilford Library. This is a complete tangent. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I was at the Guilford Library. I've been spending a lot of time in libraries, as you might imagine, with my schoolwork. And at the Guilford Library, you ha- you there's a set of stairs from the entrance that you go up to come into kind of what I consider the main part. I mean, the kids section is on the first floor. but mm-hmm. So I was heading out of the library and just approaching the stairs, and this young girl, she was probably eight, was coming up the stairs with her nose in a book. <laughs> And she walked right into me, and I was just like, I love you. You're so cute. I recognize you. <laughs> it was really sweet. So. Was she totally startled and embarrassed? No, oh, no. Like, she, she just, like, like looked then, up at me and then looked back right. at her book and kept walking. <laughs> it was very cute. <laughs> she, was in, she was kind of like, what are you doing in my way? That's you awesome, know? yeah. It was very sweet, yeah. <laughs> So next up, I think we're going to jump into Biblio Adventures. Yeah, and we have quite yeah, a few joint have, chunks. Yeah, we have. Should we? we should just I jump have in. Minjin Lee first up. Is that That's what I had. Yeah, okay. Minjin Lee, we saw her in conversation with Nancy Burns Fusaro at the Savoy Bookshop in Westerly, Rhode Island. Yeah. It's a great event. Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, the Savoy is a beautiful bookstore. It's in this old, renovated hotel. So it's just a beautiful setting. It has a great vibe. It looks yeah. like an old bookstore should look like. Yeah. Beautiful dark wood, yeah. the tin ceiling, the, what the the black iron staircase rails and everything. Yeah. Just, and then they have these you know nice leather chairs that they're sitting in. So you kind of feel like you're in a in a you know library room of some kind. Mm-hmm. You know historical library room. So it was very cozy in that way. Yeah. And she, Minjin Lee, is just a darling person. I mean, she started off by telling us the story of, you know, she came over to this country when she was seven years old from Korea, and um, that she's hysterically shy was the term she used, (laughs) which I'd never heard someone say that. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't know it, though. No, she said that she, well, since she said she didn't speak for the longest time. Unless she absolutely had to, yeah, until high school. And then she totally went insane and joined the debate club. Right, and right. what else? She did another thing, too, the de- de- debate club and something else I can't remember now. Yeah. But, you know, that really trained her to manage her shyness. And she said, I look great. I'm, you know, I'm probably making sense. Right. <laughs> but I'm freaking out on the right, inside. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and the other thing she said that I really appreciated, she said, I'm going to read to all of you. I timed it. It's six minutes because I want you to still like me. Yeah. <laughs> Chris looked right at me. <laughs> so she did. She started off by doing some reading. Yeah. And then it was just a nice conversation that she mm-hmm. and Nancy had. Yeah. 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 Really fascinating about um, this was her second time at this novel. She had written a completely different book on the subject of Koreans in Japan. Mm-hmm. And then her husband took a job in Japan, so they lived in Japan. So she interviewed a lot of Koreans about their direct experience and completely just tossed that first book and started again. Mm. And I think she said the other book sounded like a just a dry history book. 
in this book, it's about the people. Right. And the history kind of tags along with the story of the people. Right. And it's it's just an amazing book. Yeah. You know, we've already waxed on yeah. about. Well, the one thing she talked about in depth that did end up coming out, neither of us had finished the book when we went to this Yeah, event. we were in the middle, yeah. yeah. But that pachinko is actually like a, it's a gambling game in Japan. It's kind of a cross between slot machines and pinball is mm-hmm. the way she described it. And that it's, even though I think she said one in 10 Japanese, or one in 10 people living in Japan, mm-hmm. I shouldn't just say Japanese, play it yeah. and it's kind of like on every street corner and it's it brings in more money than the auto industry i think she said in japan right that's how big it is and i think the wealthiest person in the world isn't that is what she said pachinko? is it owns a pachinko really? parlor okay yeah I don't. or maybe it's the wealthiest person in japan i, I should yeah. I, it's one or the other don't yeah. quote me on that and but that it's kind of considered um it's kind of considered gangster like yeah it's, it's not i guess okay so the <clears throat> attitude of many japanese towards Korean is that they're criminals, they're dirty, and they're lazy. Mm-hmm. That's their uh, prejudice against right. that immigrant class of people. But the Koreans are the ones who run the pachinko parlors and have created great wealth right. because of it. But they're still, no matter how wealthy they are, no matter how educated their kids get at prestigious American universities or British universities, they're, the family is still looked down upon as kind of gangster-like, right. not to be associated with. Yeah. So it's very interesting. That whole cultural dynamic, I feel like, by going to see her speak, I really understood it. Mm-hmm. And so it was, as much as I usually like to have the book read by the time I see the author, I felt like it added a whole it depth did. to it yeah. as I was reading it. Yes. You know? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was the night when I was going there, I was thinking like, well, maybe, because I think it was only like 200 pages in, maybe not even that much. And it's like a 500 page book, I think. And um, that's when I was thinking like, maybe, and then I thought, oh, I can't put it down. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. She, yeah, it was a really interesting event. And, and that's, uh, she mentioned that. So her first book, which was uh, Free Food for Millionaires, was also about Koreans. And then, and I don't remember, I don't know what that book is about. Um, but now Pachinko is the second book in what she's considering a trilogy right. of the Korean experience in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. so more to come from more her. More to come. Now this one I think took her seven years to write, so not necessarily more to come next year, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. She didn't say how far along she was yeah. on the next one or anything, yeah. but... Yeah. I would rather wait for a great book yes. than have somebody rush through. Agreed. Yeah. 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 So yeah. take your time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Write us a good one, Minjin Lee. We'll we love you. <laughs> All right. So that was, and then, uh, so that was like on a Tuesday night or a Monday night. I don't mm-hmm. remember. And then later that week, we went back to the Savoy in Westerly, Rhode Island. Um, and there was a, an event with Jessica Shattuck and Julie Lextrom Himes, two, two writers who both live in Massachusetts who came together to have this conversation about historical fiction. Yes. That was another great conversation with more great books to read. Mm-hmm. Um, Shattuck's book is The Women Who Live in the Castle, which was just released, and it's about three women widows of Nazi Germany who are living in a castle processing. The aftermath. The aftermath, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I guess that one takes place in the 40s, and also in contemporary times, there's some 
uh, stuff being still processed, honestly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then um, Himes's book is about uh, the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Mm-hmm. And it's it, or post post that. It's about yeah. It's after the Bolshevik Revolution and in the beginnings of the Soviet Union with Stalin. Right. Right. It's about a love affair. With the writer whose name I can't remember. Well, it's called Mikhail and Margarita. Yeah. So Mikhail yeah, is the writer yeah. and Margarita is the woman he loves. Right. Yeah. And I can't think of... I can't think yeah. of his name. Yeah. 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 It'll come to us in It'll the middle come. of the night. Yeah, yeah. it will. Well, yeah. But yeah, so that... And that is based on the writer who... He was very much censored in the Soviet Union, but he was still liked by Stalin. Right. So, somewhat protected so he was in somewhat a strange protected, way. Yeah. yeah. Even though his books and plays and other writings were not published because he wasn't necessarily anti you know, he wasn't political in the sense that he was writing against the regime or anything. He was just writing about individual experience which didn't fit what they wanted to be put out there as propaganda about the collective being right. the most important thing. And not individual feelings. Right. And she was saying that some of his work is now being produced. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's one yet another writer who posthumously is, you know, probably better known than he was yeah. during his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah it, so was, it was a great evening. They were very compelling. Yeah. To, and, and a really nice match. Mm-hmm. I mean, nice pairing. Yeah. And um, Jessica Shattuck is going to be at Booktopia, and she's also going to be at the Newburyport Festival right, coming yeah, up at the that. end of April. And at RJ Julia. <laughs> That's right, and at RJ Julia. That's so right. So she's yeah. around, she's busy. especially in New England. If, yeah. if you're in the area, check out her website yeah. and, and see where she'll be. And her story was really compelling also because she was... Her mother was from Germany and came over, and there was a, there was a lot of history. But yet, her mother died when she was fifteen, right? Yeah. So she yeah. went back as after high school, I think she went back to Germany and visited her grandparents and interviewed them, mm-hmm. and had a lot of questions she wanted answered yeah. about their experience during the years when mm-hmm. the Nazis were in power, and that's part of what inspired her to write this book. But it is a work of fiction, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, but. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading that yeah, one. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. I'm kind of saving that one. I have a busy week or two, so I'm kind of waiting when I have a day or two to give myself. Yeah, really dig in. Yeah. That's the that's the Booktopia book you're the most excited about reading, it right? It is, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you have it now, so hopefully yeah. you get to it. And another thing, too, like after Pachinko, I felt like I needed a break yes. from really intense adult stuff yeah <laughs> so that's one reason i'm reading the lotteries plus one yeah um you know and books for living i thought would be a good one yeah. to read now too because that's yeah. yeah yeah it was pachinko was a dense read so yeah. i get and that's i read the ya novel after pachinko yeah. so I, I hear what you're saying yeah you yeah. need a little bit of a, of a yeah. break and a little lighter yeah well sure. you know lighter that's relative but right yeah, lighter. So we went. So to in order to see, do something lighter, we went to see 1984, oh the film adaptation the film, of yes. 1984. We, you know, which I thought was kind of funny that it was National Screening Day of 1984. Yeah. Like, because you know the whole thing about 1984 with the authoritarian regime <laughs> making people watch things at certain times, and I thought, and here we all are watching 1984. But anyway, I didn't think okay. about that. Yeah. That's hilarious. As we all march into yes. the theater. <laughs> Boy, but yeah, what an intense... Oh my God, there's a lot of rats in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, 
things that are much better forgotten. Yes. Yeah. 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 Now I had read the novel recently. I reread it, mm-hmm. and and you I didn't. Have not read so it. Yeah. we watching the movie. Um, you know, the beginning part was, it was confusing. You don't really know what's going on, and I think that was probably intentional mm. to make you feel confused, and because that's the what this regime does to its subjects is they it keeps them in a state of confusion and not knowing what's going on really. Yeah. Other than the propaganda that they're shooting out at them and changing whenever they need to. So I think that was probably intentional. Mm. But I was wondering, like, man, for people who haven't read the book, they really don't know what's going on. I was on. confused. Yeah. I was kind of confused the whole movie, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was also a little distracted by the chap that I was sitting next to. That oh, was kind of you? intriguing. Oh. I was like, who are you, yeah. single man sitting next to me? I like to look at people and wonder <laughs> about their lives, you know. Yeah. But anyway, totally. I was curious whether he had read it because... I'm pretty sure most people in the theater had read it. I mean, I mm-hmm. kind of made that assumption. Maybe that's not a healthy assumption. But. Yeah, you know, I don't know, because there were some gasps in the audience mm, at certain that's times. True. Yeah. Now, granted, that one scene that in Room 101, mm. like, that is a scene to make anybody gasp. Even yeah, there's a torture scene. Yeah. yeah um, but, yeah, there were some gasps. Yeah. So I don't know. And then it was really amazing, because afterwards they had a talk back with a um, very smart professor from... Yale, yeah. whose name is escaping me, I'm afraid. You know what, I wrote, no, I didn't write it down, I didn't have yeah. my notebook that night, but yeah, she's a Yale history teacher who gave some, a professor who gave some insight into the historical context of yeah. Orwell's 1984, starting with World War One and then World War Two, and obviously what's going on in America and Britain today with mm-hmm. the populist movements. And she assured us that, you know, all is not lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was really interested in, what she talked about, and, and I should say, today is April 6th, 2017, and it's the, today is the 100th anniversary of the United States declaring war on Germany and joining the war effort in World War One. She also pointed out that it was, it's also the 100th anniversary of the ACLU right. that was created to combat Wilson's administration and the propaganda they were putting out and things like the Sedition Act and other political orders that were put out that were squashing public protests mm-hmm. and harming people's and rights. And harming people's rights yeah. and, you know, you know, focusing more on the propaganda mm-hmm. to get Americans to support the war effort because Americans weren't all gung-ho. Mm-hmm. And, and so many people, and I, I know I was taught this in school, and this is a rant. Let me go on a history rant for Please. a minute. But, like, I was taught in school, and even today I was reading... A newspaper's website about you know it being the anniversary of World War One in America and World War One, and talking about what the Germans were doing and what was going on, and that the Lusitania was the last straw, and Americans were gung ho to join the war. Well, the sinking of the Lusitania happened two years before Americans joined the war, so it's kind of like it wasn't the last straw; it was part of the package, mm-hmm. the buildup, you know, too. yeah. yeah. But it wasn't the last straw. And, like, Americans were not wanting to join the war effort on, in large part. I mean, there, there are always people who are for and against everything. But So that's why Wilson had to resort to propaganda and strong-arm tactics to make things happen. And also, a little history, too, is that the Nazis in World War II looked at what the United States did during World War I to get some idea on how to better their propaganda machine. Interesting. Yeah. 
Chris, you are a wealth of knowledge. Well, that's not good knowledge to have, but <laughs> it <laughs> might be this good knowledge well, to it have, is because right? you're reading yeah. that article and you're recognizing that they're rewriting history. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, they're they're We're making taking they're license they're doing with such a shorthand dumbing down of it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, history is complex and mm-hmm. I, well, I mean, history is written by the victors. History is written, written by the people in power. You know, and they want it to make it look like Americans always do the right things and Americans come to the aid of others. And, you know, here we are on our moral high Mm -hmm. horse. And, yeah, it's not always true. And Mm -hmm. maybe it never was true. Right. You know, this whole idea of America as this pillar of moral righteousness Mm -hmm. is based on a bunch of lies Mm -hmm. stemming back to the, quote, founding fathers who were slave owners. All Amen, men are sister. created equal. My ass! Sorry. Go, Chris. Okay, rant is done for the day. Yeah, that was a good rant. That was a good rant. Yeah, it just and makes me mad, because I love history, mm-hmm. but I, I just don't like the way it's used. And, and mm-hmm. I know people, they do their, I should say some people, like do their best to try and understand a historical situation or an era or what things were like for different types of people in history. And I admire that. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of it can be guesswork. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. But I I just despise it, though, when people use history for their aims in contemporary times. Mm -hmm. It just really makes me mad. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there's that whole saying of history repeats itself. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's also important to really understand the historical context. And I think that's what a lot of people are trying to do now, you know, understand not only how our government works, but understand historically what the significance is of what's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, not that's, I didn't say that correctly. Comparing it to history, how is what's happening now significant and what can we learn from history? And what you're saying is when they don't represent history correctly, Mm -hmm. then. Well, one thing, yeah. And, and correctly, it might even be too strong of a word. Like, you know, because it's not what can be represented. So it's, it's how they it's, represent. It's always it. somebody's yeah. understanding. True. You know, True. and perspective. And, and yeah, perspective, understanding, and you know, because there is no such thing as objectivity. Correct. Everything is subjective. Yeah. Yes. And and it's on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I think like, I don't want. What do you say? Pure historians, people who truly want to try and understand a time period. You know, they still have their prejudices. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and so, yeah, it's complicated. But I think, you know, you look at it, uh, how different cultures even deal with history. Like, we could look at Japan again. Like, mm-hmm. as um, Minjin Lee said in her talk, like, the history of what the Japanese did in World War II is not talked about in Japan. Right. The war atrocities that they committed, the, you know, thousands of women and girls that they took from Korea to be sex slaves for the Japanese soldiers... That's not talked about. Right. Whereas in Germany, they talk about the Holocaust. This mm-hmm. is what our, you know, now our ancestors did mm-hmm. to make sure it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just fascinating to, to look at two cultures who were in that same war, both of them committing heinous war crimes, and now what their citizens know and understand about what happens and how they act globally in the world. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Well done, Chris. Well, I'm fascinated. And I'm just so, you know, I'm trying really, yeah, well, you know, never mind. I'm not going to get into contemporary (laughs) politics. Well, I mean, that's part of what she did. With uh, To get back to 1984, part of what she did at the end was, you know, obviously people were going to have some questions about 
help. You right. know, what's yes. about, I mean, why yeah. are people wanting to read 1984 to kind of, you know, figure out what's happening now? Exactly. And I, I think she yeah. did a really good job of doing that without being too doom and gloom and, exactly. you know, making right. us all want to just put our heads yeah. in a bag of popcorn and yeah. <laughs> wake up in four years. Right, you know? and one of the things, too, like the uh, this theaters around the country that got together to do this national showing were contributing, donating the funds to different organizations and and you can vote on what organization you want. And somebody who knows somebody at the ACLU said, don't donate to us. Like, we have so much money coming in right now. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, some of them are choosing, like, immigrant groups mm-hmm. to donate to. Yeah. So that is a good thing. That, yeah. You know, the ACLU is getting all the support to mm-hmm. combat the challenges that are going on to democracy and freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's a great thing. And as the professor from Yale said, you know, she's very heartened by... The number of people who are out there protesting and wanting to get involved in more ways that actually impact what's going on and not just passively sitting at home filling right. out petitions, right. which is also important. I mean, yeah. petitions, I don't mean to, it's not like they're not important, but, you know, people are wanting to do things and they want to know what they could do that will actually make a difference. So. Right. Yeah. So it was a good night. It and was. Then, and then at the end, there was a little surprise after she finished talking, they had nationally not just for our showing but they had recorded a half an hour interview with the director of 1984 so that was kind of interesting yeah, to see him neat. in current day mm-hmm. and um talking about the filming it was his second movie that he had ever directed and i think he was in his early 20s yeah, or something he was pretty so, young, yeah, he said, yeah. yeah and it was a funky movie i mean mm-hmm. it was a funky movie but well and he know. won an award for best special effects Right. And he's like, and there are no special effects <laughs> right. in this movie. He's like, I just filmed it using what we had on hand. Right. In yeah, London. It was funny. Like, you yeah. know, so it's, I guess it's camera. Yeah. Angles and whatnot. And yeah. 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 It was a good night. It was. Yeah. Despite my missed connection. <laughs> <laughs> well, kidding. I'm just happy that they, they had the, the professor talking yeah. because it did. I did leave feeling more hopeful than I would have had yes. I just left with them. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think it was really wise for them to do that. Yeah. You know. I mean, yes. Yeah. It really yeah. was. Yeah. People needed something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then, um, oh, we also, when we were at the Savoy, this we should have talked about the second night that we were at Savoy, we, we found a new oh, used bookstore. Right, a new used bookstore. Yeah. We're, we're walking down the street, walking, walking, heading to the Savoy, and all of a sudden we look, look up and we're like, oh, what? It, it, it's a bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we went in and we met Jill, the yeah. owner. What is it called? It's called Rereads. Rereads Bookshop. Which is a great name. Yeah. I love that name. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Used bookstore. So that's in Westerly. Yeah. It's on that main strip right kind of across from the Savoy, across and down the street a little bit. Yeah. Really nice, clean, well-lit place yeah. with lots of books. Lots of books in yeah. good condition, very well cultivated. Is that what you say? She chooses her books carefully because sometimes used bookstores can... Yeah, they can have that, you know, cat smell, I'm sorry. Well, and they yeah. can have, you know, dusty old books. Yeah. This was not that way. And so. one third of it is all James Patterson. Right, exactly. <laughs> James Patterson, one third Dan Brown. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with those books. I like those books. Those are, talk about palate cleansers. Those are good ones for that. Yeah. So, oh, and then we saw another movie too. Not very literary, or not a literary connection, but we saw Get Out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which was another movie that left us kind of tired. Yeah. <laughs> Social, you know, I've been through the ringer kind yeah. of way. Yeah. Social commentary, ra- racist social commentary. Is that the way to say it? I racial. Mean, racial. Thank racial. You. <laughs> Maybe racial social commentary. Racial so- social commentary, yeah. 
intense. It's a horror movie. I don't like yeah. horror movies. I told Chris I wanted to see it because people are talking about it, but I said, you might have to hold my hand. <laughs> and it wasn't that really scary. No. It was more very... suspenseful. Yeah, and then the end was a little blood and guts, which I don't yeah. love. Um, yeah. I actually can't stand that, but it was okay. I got yeah. through it. Yeah. And, and the director played around with a different ending. Mm-hmm. Too. Yeah. I read a or I watched yeah. an interview with him. Yeah. So it's the type of movie if you go see it, you're gonna want to talk about it. That's mm-hmm. all I can say. Yeah. So I suggest you see it with somebody or have someone to talk with that afterwards. Was out. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of movies, um, I watched um, on PBS Masterpiece had a a movie about the Bronte sisters mm. uh, to walk invisible That's was the name of it, and and it was really interesting. It was about the Bronte sisters, you know, Charlotte, Emily, and Anne. And it was pretty much a three-year time period of just... Uh, it kind of starts with the, them being kids with their brother, and there's a lot of documentation of the creative the cre- creative life that the, these kids lived as little kids and mm-hmm. their imaginations and how they were allowed to run free and, you know, create and imagine and everything, and they all wrote. Mm-hmm. And... This the bulk of the movie though is about them as adults and when their brother he's an alcoholic is really going down to his bottom pretty quickly mm-hmm. and they start they decide Charlotte kind of is the ringleader and she decides you know we need to start writing and getting stuff out there because he's never gonna amount to anything not that he's never gonna amount to anything but like you know we can't keep waiting for him um, so they do and you know she. Writes and publishes Jane Eyre. Uh, I think was it Emily? Yeah, Emily wrote Wuthering Heights, and so in this time, this short time period, they became very famous. And wow. there was another. There was one point, and they wrote under pen names. We should say so nobody knew who they were. Um, and they, uh, somebody was going to be publishing one of their books under the wrong name or something like that. And Charlotte says, "We need to fix this. This can't happen." So they marched down to the publisher and introduce themselves. And, yeah, wow. the rest is her story, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, the movie was hard to understand at times. The sound quality was weird, oh. and then the accents didn't help with that, and the music was always so loud. But cinem, 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 the, the cinematography was beautiful. Yeah. But it was very much about staging a scene. Mm. And it, you know, so the story... Could have been a little bit smoother, mm. but the scenes were just beautiful. Oh, how fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that was a, yeah, so more, so that was, yeah, PBS, the Brontes, To Walk Invisible. I would think they'd, they'd be showing that again, or yeah, that's what you could probably happens. get a copy if you're a Bronte fan. Sometimes you, uh, with PBS, too, you can go online and mm, watch, and watch things, yeah. Too. You can stream it, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I went, I'm back from the city last night, from last night, because I went to um, the Center for Fiction, mm-hmm. which is a really cool spot, and I saw Amor Tolls and Christina Baker-Klein in conversation. They both have new books out. I've spoken about Amor Tolls um, on a previous episode. He wrote A Gentleman in Moscow, and then Christina Baker-Klein um, has a new book out called A Piece of the World. Mm-hmm. 
pretty sure that's what it's called. I can see the cover. I, yeah. I couldn't tell you what it said, though. Because it's like a yeah. pretty... It's about an Andrew Wyeth painting. It's a historical Andrew Wyeth painting. And this was the event that I had wished the Colson Whitehead... George Saunders event was mm. and I promise this is the last time I'm going to complain <laughs> about that event but we so the center for fiction is I think it's really for authors like it's you can join the center for fiction and there's a third floor where there's um, a lounge area where they can write and things like that and then it has a beautiful library which is a lending library which has an unbelievable collection of I wanted to ask somebody who worked there but I didn't get the chance because it's pretty much like recent Recently published books. Okay. And then the first floor has a bookstore with used books. But some of them are, I mean, hardcover's pretty new, and they're like $4. So I think they must have a system of kind of moving books through. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's people who have pre- present there, and that's why their books are there. Because it's obviously not like they have every new book published. Mm-hmm. But beautiful space. And we walked in, and there's two chairs sitting up on a stage... You know, and they came in and sat down and they basically were just asking each other questions and somewhat enamored with each other, you could tell. And it was kind of like, um, you know, hearing kind of the insider insider stories about how they wrote their books. And um, they were talking and talking and talking. An hour went by. I would have thought it was five minutes. Wow, it was cool. so interesting. They were fun, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, and then at one point, one of the employees from the back row kind of yells, time to move to questions from the audience, you know, and I think all of us were kind of like, no, let them keep talking, you know, let them talk another hour and then we'll ask questions, you know. So then once the once it was time for questions, the woman said, we'll take three questions. And there was, I think all of us were kind of like, I mean, even Christina Baker Klein and Amor Tolls were kind of like, really? You know, I mean, it was, they really kind of moved it along. Mm-hmm. And so we were in and out in an hour and a half, I wow. think. And they signed, they had books available for sale and they signed books at the end. Mm-hmm. But, um, but they really talked about the art of writing and the process of writing. And, you know, even when I'm reading a book that I may not love, I'm still always impressed with the fact that there's a person who put all these words on pages, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's amazing to me. I mean, I have a very good friend, Shuli, who's a writer, and she has a book coming out soon, which we'll talk about on an upcoming episode. But the other day, she texted me, like, a sentence, and she said, does this sentence make sense? You know, and I thought, holy smokes, like, how many sentences do these authors have to sit there and toil away at, you know? And so I, listening to these two talk last night, it really gave me even a greater appreciation of like they both, Amor Tolls had a 50-page outline for A Gentleman in Moscow. Mm. And then they both talked about, they have a similar process where they both write a first draft that's for themselves, they said. Okay. And they just write. And so she, Christina Baker Klein said it could even be like, I wrote the s- same scene, but five different directions. Yeah. You know, cool. and then I just keep writing. Mm-hmm. I don't say, okay, uh-oh, I better go back and revisit chapter one now because I just wrote this at a different angle. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, I just write it. Cool. And I don't think anyone's going to read this but me. And they both said, of course, it makes then editing the first draft as a chore because mm-hmm. they've written this, you know, kind of behemoth, you know, that they yeah. have to deal with. But I thought it was interesting that they had a similar process. Very cool. And, um, again, both very charming, very interesting. And it was, I always love it when kind of authors are kind of, you know, 
fans of each other and you can tell they're like oh my god I'm on the stage with so and so you know (laughs) so it had that feeling and I met Aunt Ellen was there and then two of our um, friends that we've met through Books on the Nightstand in Booktopia Kate and Diane were there awesome who are both going to be at Booktopia so we'll see them in a month (laughs) so it was a really nice evening and um and it made me want to get on their mailing list or something Mm -hmm. to know because I think they have a lot of really good events there yeah so, Very cool. Um, yeah. What was it? Um, so where was the event space? Was it on the first floor or the second, second floor? Second floor. Okay. So the first floor is bookstore. Second floor is this event space. And then they also have books all along the walls there, which is more of the library. Okay. And then the third floor, which was a mystery. You yeah. Know, we, you can't get up there unless space, you're, yeah. you know, part of the, you know, club. Mm-hmm. Well, they do classes there. I know they have classes oh. um, huh. year round, I think. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then writing space for writers, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a really yeah. beautiful space. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah cool. it was a nice evening. Now, did you go to the stationery store next door? We did. We went oh. to Phil's Stationery. Ellen and I went to Phil's Stationery, and um, I bought a moleskin journal, purple cool. moleskin journal. Yes. Nice. I wanted one that fits in my purse, and I bought a pen, and Ellen bought a couple pens, and it was kind of a classic little stationery shop. New York City stationery shop. Nice. So, okay, cool. Yeah. They had the Lamy, is that how you say it? The pens, the German oh, yeah. pens Lamy. that you like. Lamy, I Lamy. think Lamy yeah. might be. That was my Hillbilly, Ohio accent. No. The Lamy, Lamy pens. Lamy. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things, I've heard it two or three different ways. Okay. And I know the guy who does, um, who owns, co-owner of Goulet pens, he has a, a video that he does regularly, and he'll pronounce it correctly. So okay. if I ever need to know how to pronounce a pen name, I check them out. Okay. Like pens, and they, I'll get it from get the it horse's mouth. Right. Mouth, yeah. But they had, you know, they had a good pen selection and stuff, oh, so that was fun. Excellent. And then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so last time Emily and I were in New York together, we walked past it, but it was closed, and we just kind of stood outside drooling. <laughs> it was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> we need to get back here. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I built my trip in yesterday, allowing a half an hour at the stationery store. So that was perfect. Cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So that is our biblio. Those were our biblio adventures, and now upcoming jaunts. We have a joint jaunt on Saturday jaunt. to see Brian Stevenson in yeah. Rhode Island, author of Just Mercy. Yeah. Looking, Looking forward, forward to that. that. Um, I have a. Well, I'm going on a date tonight with Laura. Yeah. We are going to the Mark Twain house. There's a, and I didn't write her name down, another professor at a college in New York somewhere, I believe, who's coming to talk about Mark Twain and his relationship to, I can't think of the word, 19th century literature, gothic literature. That's it. Wow, I just went out of my head. (laughs) I'm here, I'm watching the hawks fly and the waves crash. Yeah, so it's mesmerizing here. <laughs> so Mark Twain in gothic literature and ghosts and stuff. So oh, cool. she's talking about that, and then we're gonna go out to dinner. So it's totally date night. Um, nice. And then I saw another event coming up at our local library next Thursday. Letters from the battlefield with Rick Maynard, who's a local man, who he and his siblings found something like thirty letters dated to World War One in their basement, mm. and. I'm not sure if those, the, the letters were included in a short film that was created about World War One, and the Doughboy experience. And so they're going to be showing that short movie next mm. Thursday and then talking about letters that soldiers wrote home. So oh. I, I'd be interested in that. Yeah. 
So now, upcoming reads. What do you... Upcoming reads. I have a Booktopia author and book to read, The Impossible Fortress by Jason Reculak, I think is how you say his name. And then I also have History of Wolves by Emily Friedland, which was sent to me by our joint friend, Russell. Oh, hi, Russell. Yeah. So um, I'm looking forward to digging into those two. Very cool. Yeah. What about you? Well, I'll be... um, The Woman in the Castle will be next. Yeah. Because after I finish what I'm currently reading um that will be the next thing perfect yeah i might even take a day off of reading because sometimes when a book really wipes me out i'll just take a couple days and not read and then i'll be okay to go back if you need something to read i have a great piece i'm going to be reading for my economics class when you leave about estate taxes and philanthropy (laughs) there's a blank stare across the table yeah i was going to pretend to pass out but i didn't want to spill anything Oh, and then there's something I want to watch, too. Another World War One thing, but it's The Great War, and it's another PBS uh, through their American Experience series, and that actually starts April 10th. So probably uh, it'll start the day before this episode's posting, but it's a okay. multi-episode thing about The Great War, in America and The Great War. And PBS usually re-shows and re-shows. Yes, and re-shows. yeah. So, so you should be able to catch it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and I want to say hi to Bernadette from Rhode Island. We met Bernadette. She's our one of our listeners. Oh right. Yeah, at the Savoy. Hi Bernadette. Hi, we Bernadette. met we met her at Minjin Lee. Yeah. I think Minjin Lee and Pachinko win the award for the book we've mentioned the most because mm-hmm. we've talked about her events and then her event got canceled and then we went to the right. next event. Yes. <laughs> and at first right, I wasn't gonna be able to go and then you weren't able right. to or something weird yeah. was happening and then yeah. we were both able to go, yeah. so it worked yeah, out well. That's funny. Yeah. But yes, Bernadette, it was lovely to meet you when we went to see Minjin Lee, and thank you for listening. All right. All right, everybody. Happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks, as always, for listening. Yeah, and if you're looking for us, you can find us on Twitter at Book Cougars, Facebook at Book Cougars. If you have anything you want to share, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes and like to leave a review, we'd appreciate it. It helps other people find us. Thanks, everybody. Happy reading, everybody. Bye.